started a new series, and the title of that series is Endure. And I know for so many of us, we have to endure some things during our life. It's not always easy. It's not always fun. Speaking of which, I'm not trying to get any kind of uh, gangster lean when I walk, but I'm having some kind of gout flare up or something in my foot. So if I'm limping, it's not because I want to try to be cool, it's because I'm hurting, <laughs> and uh, I'm getting old, and yeah, and that's, that's just part of getting old, is, is aches and pains, and when you get older, pain doesn't go away, it just relocates, that's, that's what I've heard anyway, and uh, I'll leave that for the older generation to decide, I'm not quite there yet, but specifically, we looked at the life of a man, or in this case, a teenager, because he's a teenager at the time, his name's Joseph. And if you've read anything about Joseph, you know that he had tough times in his life that he had to endure. That there are things that happened to him that can't be explained. And they, we look at things and we wonder why things happen to us. Well, we can look at lives in the Bible like Joseph, like Job, and we can know why that, that things happen, and sometimes it's to teach us to endure. So if you look at Matthew 24, 13, it says this, But he that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. That is the theme verse for this uh, series. I know it's weird to have a New Testament theme and then an Old Testament story, but hey, the, the theme throughout the Bible is the same, and we can see that there are so many things in the Old Testament that we need to learn by, as well as the New Testament. And Joseph's life epitomized what it means to endure. We looked at three particular reasons why life was so tough for Joseph. First one was he was a tattletale. He didn't make things easy on himself. He, he liked to give a report of what his brothers were doing to his dad. Two, he was dad's favorite child. And us favorite siblings, us favorite children, we know that it's tough on the other children their jealousy that they feel because of the love that we get showered in our direction. I'm not speaking from experience or anything. But three, he had dreams that his brothers and even his mother and father would someday bow down and worship him. And things you should keep to yourself, he didn't believe in that. He would tell his family about all these dreams. And by the way, I like to help the fellows out when I can. You know this. With some, uh, with some lines... I'm not going to say pickup lines because that's bad. This, this is flirtatious, uh, I want to share the spirit with you lines, okay? We'll say that. And here, here's one, okay? I thought of it this week. And actually, I don't, I don't mean just for the fellas because this could actually be better if you are a girl 
trying to flatter a guy. And here's what you do. You go up to somebody and say, is your name Joseph? Because you're dreamy. <laughs> hey, hey, try it. Just try it and see if it works. If it doesn't work, just move on. All right? But sorry, that, that was awful. But one other thing that we talked about was the outside appearance doesn't always tell us the story of what somebody's going through. Because on the outside, it looked like Joseph had it all. He was favored by his heavenly father. He was favored by his earthly father. And it, he had this nice coat. It seemed like everything was going in Joseph's direction. But we could not look into his life and see the internal battle that's going on by the fact that his brothers hated him. They had nothing nice to say to him. And so he really had nobody his age that he could confide in. Because as much as you fight and, and carry on with your siblings, at the end of the day, when you're growing up together, that's one of the places and one of the things that you can take comfort in is knowing that they are going to be there for you. And so appearances don't always tell the story. And you know, the sad thing is there's going to be times in our lives where we feel closer to God than we ever have. But then the flesh, everything outside of the spiritual realm is going to come against that. And the struggle with flesh will minimize the spiritual impact in our own life. And so in this case, Joseph's brothers were having some serious hatred towards him, spitting out some awful, awful things. So much so that they were even to consider and follow through with terrible acts. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. In Genesis 37, 18 is where we're going to start. Joseph had gone out to look for his brothers. He was going to go find them to see if they needed anything. He was going to do a store run. Hey, you, want me, you guys want me to pick you up, Pop, at the Dollar General? It's two for whatever, two for three dollars now. Me and June were talking about on the way to church how we can remember a, uh, back in the good old days when a 20-ounce uh, pop was 75 cents, and uh, that barely buys a can now. Anyway, that's, those are days long gone. Back in my day, gas was 89 cents a gallon. Hey, it really was when I started driving. In Genesis 37, 18, though, back on track. Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into the pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Man, the hatred and contempt that you would have to have for somebody to see them in the distance, and then all of a sudden it just occurs to you, what if I kill him? I mean, and you can even imagine, I, I can even hear them saying this in my mind, somebody saying, the dreamer is coming. Just sneering those words. I mean, just put yourself in this situation to see what makes them so angry that they would go that far 
in their thoughts. We're going to throw him in a pit and we're going to tell dad that an animal devoured him. We're going to kill him. We're going to get rid of the body. We're going to get rid of the evidence. And we'll tell dad something's happened. You know, there's definitely seems to be a line between hard feelings towards people and then carrying out those actions, right? Actually, Jesus says if you have anger in your heart, it's the same as murder. And so we see, though, that there's a line that we think of that they are willing to cross right here, that they no longer want to put up with him. They no longer want to say, well, he's just Joseph. Joseph's being Joseph. It's going to happen. They are actually putting feet under their thoughts. But luckily, big brother Reuben intervenes, and he says, all right, guys, let's, let's don't hurt him. Let's throw him in a pit, and then we can decide what to do. Now, his plan, if you, if you, read, it, if you read it and see, was that he plans on taking Joseph back to his dad. You know, let's, let's make it look, let's just scare him. Let's throw him in the pit. Let's tell him, quit dreaming, or at least quit telling us what these dreams are. And while they're not looking, he's going to sneak him back to dad. But you know the thing is, I, I see Joseph, and they rip his coat off, and they throw him in this pit, and he's probably thinking, what in the world is going on here? I come out all the way out here in the middle of nowhere, to see if you guys need any food or water or anything else. Next thing I know, you're taking my coat off of me and you're pushing me in this pit. And then he looks up, and can you just imagine looking up out of that pit and looking down on you are faces of hatred, of contempt, of jealousy, and just pure hatred. And then just imagining, what did I do? What is so wrong with me that you are looking at me like that? And to be honest with you, that probably hurt him worse than any physical pain that they could have inflicted on his body. And so he's sitting there by himself wondering how he made it to literally rock bottom. That's where he was, was the bottom of the pit looking up at his brothers and wondering how he got there. I wonder how many of us are in the same situation today. We are in the bottom of the pit. We're looking up and all we see, seems like all we see is bitterness, anger, hatred, sneering faces that are looking at us, wondering why we are so bad. But here's the thing. Our focus cannot be on the pit itself. You know what, I've, I've seen this so many times in churches when people give testimonies or when we talk about a situation that we're going through, we glorify the pit. We lift the pit up as if it's something that, it's a cross that we bear and it's something that is awesome and that it deserves some praise. Instead of thinking about the pit as, as just a place where we have to be for a little while, we lift it up and we give it honor and we give it praise when we should be giving honor and praise to the one who can deliver us from the pit. Another mistake is that we expect immediate deliverance from the pit. Amen? My son, I was getting amen from him. <laughs> you know, I wonder if Joseph was sitting there thinking it, because I would. If I would think, okay, it's brothers playing tricks on each other. 
You know, five minutes later, ha ha, funny guys, lift me out. It's, the, the joke's over, it's not funny anymore. Get me out of this pit. And how many times do we do the same thing to God? We get in this situation where it just seems like we're in the, we're in the bottom, nothing's going right, and we look, at, look up at him and say, all right, God, you got me, now get me, right? You got me, now get me. Get me out of this pit, I don't want to be here anymore. We want to be airlifted out when the goal or the objective might not be deliverance immediately. It might be for us to endure the pit. God doesn't always operate in immediate deliverance. His word to you might not be that the storm is over, but it might be, I'm going to help you endure the storm. So back to the question I ask, what pit are you enduring right now? Maybe it's a pit of despair. We've, we've used that phrase before. Maybe you're just having all of these things go, going on in your life. Your finances are a mess. Your job situation is scary. There's drama everywhere you look. There's drama at home. There's drama at work. There's drama at school. Drama, drama, drama. Because, you know, we're surrounded by drama mamas and drama papas. And it's easy to get overwhelmed when we find ourselves in a pit of despair and it's almost like doomsday because we, it just piles on. It's madness. Maybe it's a pit of depression. Just can't shake out of it. You can't seem to make yourself, to will yourself to be full of joy, happy, or have any kind of peace about any situation because of the stress and the worry that you, and the fret and anxiety. It just seems to pile on, pile on, and pile on. I don't feel like I'm helping right now, but we will. We'll get there. Or maybe it's a pit of self-pity. Oh, you can just move on from that one. But you can't spell pity without pit. Amen? If you find yourself in a pit like the ones mentioned, it's hard not to feel sorry for yourself. How many times do we get there? Poor little pitiful me. Get it? Pitiful me. Why is this happening to me, God? Where are you? I can't feel your presence. I don't know where you are. I want to feel your blessing. I want to feel your strength and power. I want to worship, but I can't stop thinking about how bad things are in my life. It's not fair, God. I want to do this, and I want to do that, and you're not letting me, and it's not fair. Nobody else has been there, I guess. Y'all too holy. <laughs> but God is telling us something today, and he's telling us, endure the pit. You may not be miraculously delivered from the pit that you're in. Newsflash, okay? There's too many preachers and churches out there that preach that no matter what situation you get in, God is just going to reach down and immediately he's going to pluck you out of it. Especially if you sow some seed into their ministry, he's just going to pluck you out. That gets you to the front of the line, preferred customer status. But sometimes he doesn't deliver, but he will give you the strength to endure your time. So how does he do that? That's a good question. I am glad you asked. Uh, the first is to get in the presence of God. Now, God is omnipresent. Do you believe that? I believe that. You know what that means? That means he's in the pit with you. When you are at the bottom, when you're at rock bottom, when you feel like you can't get any lower, God is right there with you. And, and there's no better time to get in the presence of God than when you are in the pit and you have nothing else to occupy your time.
because Joseph had nothing. He was down to nothing. There was not even any water in the pit, but he had God Almighty with him and he was able to get in the presence. But here's the, here's the thing though. Our flesh, if we're in a bad situation, the last thing we want to do is get in the presence of God because we're mad at God. Things, when things happen to people, a lot of times you'll see them just shrink away from church because they don't want anything to do with God when that's the very thing that they should be clinging to more than anything else. If we begin to wonder why we don't feel as close to God as we used to, well, God's everywhere. He didn't move. It's not Frontline Ministries' fault. Well, I tell you, the Spirit's just not moving in that church like it used to. It's not the worship's band fault, worship band's fault. They just, they're not picking the right songs, man. We, we sang that song two weeks ago. When they're, uh, I don't understand why they want to do that one. It's not the teacher or the preacher's fault. It's not the pastor's fault. It is our personal responsibility to get and stay in the presence of God. It is nobody else's job. It is nobody else's thing to do, to push us. We have to have the desire and the passion to do it ourselves. Just like trying to lose weight. You know, you can, you can, you can uh, blame everybody else. You can blame the Doritos aisle at Walmart if you want to. You can blame the fork that fits your hand really well and you just can't put it down. You can blame whatever you want to, but at the end of the day, we are responsible for our own actions and it is our own responsibility to get into the presence of God. Take time out. And I literally, time out. You know, if you're, if you're busy, if you're run, 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 Time out, God. I want to get in your presence. And we turn some worship, praise music on. We turn the phone off. Not on vibrate. O-F-F. Your phone does have an off button, I promise you. And it, but it's, it's hard to find anymore, right? It's, you have to hold that button in and then swipe. It's tough. But it's possible. Unless you play music on your phone, then you can switch it to airplane mode and you, you're okay, okay? But just Pray. How do I get in the presence of God? I just pray. I just talk to God. And we don't have to have any specific formula. We don't have to have any magic words. We talk to Him just like we talk to a friend. God, I need you. I need you in my life right now. Lord, I need you in this situation. I'm in the pit. I know that you're here with me. I just want to spend some time with you while I have it. And we, if we begin being in His presence, even if it's in the pit... It will change the entire atmosphere of our situation. If you don't believe me, read some Bible uh, stories. It happened for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It happened for Paul and Silas, and it happened for Stephen. Those are just three uh, examples of when that happens. No matter what was going on around them physically, when God showed up, when they were in the presence of God, things begin to change. The presence of God transports our minds. The fiery furnace no longer becomes the fiery furnace, but a fiery service where we can service and uh, we can be in the service of God. A chained up jail cell will become freedom through spontaneous worship sessions. Even facing death itself like Stephen was, we can look up and we can see that Jesus Christ is standing at attention, looking down on our situation and knowing exactly what we are going through. We don't have to worry about what's going on if we are in the presence of God. Another way to endure the pit is intercession. We begin to put the needs of other people 
in front of our own. Let's pray for needs outside of and that are bigger than ourselves. I don't know what to pray for. Intercede on behalf of your friends and family. Your friends and family, they might be sick. They might need a touch from God. Pray for your county. Pray for your state. Pray for your country. Pray for your leaders. Pray for those people who you come in contact with every day. And start beginning to care about their needs and their desires more than our own. When we begin to focus on the needs of, of those, we become more like Christ. Because He came as a servant. You didn't. A lot of times, there were very few times where He prayed and it was about Himself. It was about glorifying the will of God, doing the will of God, and helping the other people around Him. When we focus on our own pit, not much will change. We can, we can sit and we can whine and complain about our own pit, but when we start thinking about the struggles that other people are going through, that's when our problems get minimized, and that may just be when we get a breakthrough. We got, this one's tricky, though, because you can't, you can't go around saying, all right, I'm in this bad situation, so I'm just going to start praying for other people. Because I know that God's going to deliver me from my own situation because I'm, I'm being so humble. Look, how, look at Captain Humility here, that big H on my shirt, and I'm just going to fly in and save the day for everybody else. And then God's going to step in and deliver me. We must have genuine compassion for other people. We must genuinely want God to reveal himself in others' situations and not just our own. That's hard to do because we are selfish, church. We are selfish people. Our flesh makes us selfish. We don't like hearing that because we don't, you may get mad at me for saying that, but we are. We look out for number one, and that is what our innate human nature tells us to do. It's okay, but we have to fight it. It takes effort to look outside of ourselves. It really does. It's a struggle. That's why a relationship, friendship, marriage, it's not easy because we have to train ourselves to not only look towards our own desires and our own wants and needs, but we have to look towards the desires of the people around us. But inter intercession intercepts the attack of the enemy. I can't begin to tell you how many testimonies that I've heard of people who were sick, they were in a situation, and then all of a sudden they said, well, I just started praying for this other person to have their deliverance. And lo and behold, my deliverance came and I didn't know what to do except to praise God. And so when we start praying for others, God will send the answer to us that we need. In both situations, God will move. It's a double blessing. It's like a McDouble. It's twice the goodness. I don't know. It wasn't a very good... Sure, we'll use it. <laughs> But the last way that we can endure the pit, it's, oh, we don't, want, we don't want to hear this one at all, but it's time. And here's the thing. We don't like it, but there's going to be times when we simply have to wait it out. We don't want to hear that. We want to be immediately beam me up scottied. We want to be out of the situation. We want God to move, and we want the storm to be calm all in a day's work. I tell you, we've lost the ability to wait. We have absolutely lost the ability to wait. I can remember 
when I was little, and of course it's, it seems a lot more when you're little, but it felt like every weekend we had either a wedding or a funeral to go to. And there were no cell phones, people. Back in those days, we had to <gasps> occupy ourselves. <laughs> oh my goodness. And we'd have to wait. It was probably more like 30 or 45 minutes, but it felt like hours. It felt like days we would spend at those funeral homes and just go to sleep in a casket because we couldn't go home. But <laughs> there was one funeral in particular I can remember that me and some other people, you know how we entertained ourselves? Seeing who would touch the dead guy the longest. <laughs> That's terrible, I know. But... Our society has become so afraid of boredom that we have created an entire culture that is ridiculously impatient. We can't wait for anything. If my fast food is not fast enough, then I get mad. If my microwave doesn't heat my meal in four minutes as opposed to six minutes, I'm just, I don't know what I'm going to do. I press my head up against the microwave door waiting on it. Oh, nobody else has done that? <laughs> okay. And I can sit in that circle, all right? Uh, Impatience Anonymous. Hello, my name is Daniel, and I have a problem. <laughs> supposed to say, hello, Daniel. <laughs> and I referenced this the last time I spoke, uh, but Nate made several good points during the last message that he spoke on a few Wednesday nights ago. And the church has has this phrase, it's like we're adamant that we can't pray for patience anymore. Don't pray for patience because God is going to put you in a situation where you have to be patient. <gasps> God forbid <laughs> that we get put in a situation where we have to show a little patience. And because we don't pray it, it doesn't happen, and we never get patience. But the thing is, sometimes to endure the pit, that's exactly what we need. We don't want to hear it. We begin to doubt the power of God when we have to spend time in the pit. But that's how we endure. That's, we wait it out. And here's the thing. Here's why. Because at the end of this life, if we wait it out, if we're, if we're faithful to spend the time in the pit that is, that is necessary, then we get to spend eternity with Jesus Christ, and there is no time, there is no day and night, there's nothing that will separate us from the goodness and the glory of God, and we don't have to worry about time anymore, we don't have to worry about the pit anymore, so if we endure for just a little while here on this earth, because we are just pilgrims passing through, if we get to the end, then it's all worth it. So in, to endure the pit, we get in the presence of God, we intercede on behalf of others, and we simply do the time. Presence, intercession, time. P-I-T. To endure the pit, we use the pit. To fight the pit, we fight it with the pit. Amen? Amen. Uh, okay, yay. They spell out a word, that's great. <laughs> but seriously, when you find yourself in the pit, think of those three things. They, they the spell pit, so you can't forget them. Presence, intercession, time. When I do those three things, then time flies when you're having fun. It's like a week at the beach versus a week at school or work. Which one goes by faster? They're both seven days, but the beach travels faster. 
It just, it's science. But when we stay in the presence of God and we begin to focus on the problems that are not our own, the time passes more quickly. Back to Joseph. I would like to be able to stand here and tell you that Joseph endured the pit and that everything all of a sudden was hunky-dory. His brothers had a change of heart while they were standing up there. They were eating their lunch. They, they begin to feel sorry for, jo uh, for Joseph. They pull him out of the pit. They smack him on the back, say, sorry, bro, we just got a little mad at you. We're going to send you back home. But it doesn't work like that. Life doesn't always play out like a Hollywood ending. It just doesn't. Sometimes we'll be lifted out of the pit only to be placed in another situation to endure. And again, this is not, this is not popular to think about. We want to we feel the, the victory. We want to see the power of God revealed. But sometimes the new situation might even be worse. Don't ever think that it can't get worse because it's probably going to. Some Midianites were passing by and the brothers sold Joseph into slavery. We talk about human trafficking and what a problem it is today. And I tell you what, to sell your own brother to a traveling bunch of men as a slave, to me that's worth some death. Because from, this, from, from the pit, you can look up and you can see your way out. You don't know what's coming, but you can still have just a little bit of hope that my brothers are going to have a little bit of change of heart. They haven't quite crossed that line. You can come back from this, brothers. You can come back from this family. But then once you're in those chains and you're a slave, then what you have to look forward to for the rest of your life is going to bed as a slave, waking up as a slave, and living your entire existence as a slave. We don't really get to look into Joseph's mindset here, but I just can imagine the devastation, the hurt, and the anger and the rage. I mean, that's, that's going on in this young man's life. To see his brothers sell him to somebody else. You know, during this life, we may go from the pit to even worse, unimaginably worse. There's, there's things that people face in this life. I never, I'll never know why they face them, but I do know who they face them with because God can be on our side. You know, the brothers rip up Joseph's coat and they kill a baby goat and spread it with the blood. I, in, the, in Scripture, it says they kill a kid, and I, I just felt like that would take a bad turn if I just said that right out, that they kill a kid and cover it with, blo with blood, but it's a baby goat is what they're talking about. And they dip the coat in blood, and they tell their dad that Joseph was ripped to shreds by a wild animal. And I had this thought. When we are dishonest, when we do something in the dark, when we hide sin, there's something that dies with those lies. And it's, it's usually a piece of ourselves. So if you're living in a sin cycle, if you're doing something in the dark, if there's things that you do in your life behind closed doors that nobody knows about, your sin will find you out. But there's a piece of you that will die every time that you try to live a lie. Here's the last point I want to make. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, 
and you walk out of these doors the same way that you walked in, you're going to be led away in chains. Just like Joseph was led away from that pit in chains. You're a slave. You're a slave to sin. You will live in it. You will die in it. If you never make a change, it will be the only life, the only existence that you will ever know. And you'll spend an eternal punishment thinking about the slavery that you've been in. But those chains can be broken. They can be released by the one who overcame death, hell, and the grave. There has been an emancipation proclamation that has been declared over each and every one of our lives, and that is that we do not have to live in slavery anymore. Amen. Will you let him set you free today? Who the Son sets free is free indeed, and you don't have to live as a slave like Joseph was taken away as. Don't be led out of here in spiritual chains. Jesus Christ will release you, and he will set you free from the bondage of sin. Because he overcame, he gives us the power to do as well.